There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Don Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by David Equi, Managing Director of Equi's Ice Cream. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So, gentlemen, pressure is growing for Rishi Sunak to axe his plans for a rise in national insurance tax. Once again, it seems like the show is setting the business agenda, Tom. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure Rishi is tuned in every Sunday morning, Donald, and listening to the wise words from Willie and I, not. <laughs> but, I mean, he's got his, auto, his spring statement coming out and um, things are not as bad as perhaps you would believe from the headlines. Borrowing looks as if it's going to be... I mean, there were, these, these figures are mind-blowing, but borrowing was forecast to be $183 billion and it's only, only going to be 160 billion, and he is getting a windfall VAT tax from the price of fuel. I'm glad somebody's benefiting from it. So, what I'm looking for from this spring statement is to say I'm going to delay the NI increase on employers and employees because there's some shocks coming to consumers and energy prices, both domestic and commercial. And I would like them to cut the fuel duty as well. France, Germany, Ireland, Holland have all either cut their fuel duty or they're planning to cut it. So that's these are the big things that I'm looking for. But I'm, I'm encouraged that it's... I thought last week's show was quite gloom and doom and rightly so, but I'm a, I, I can see some... Green shoots here, green being the colour. Oh, don't say that to Willie. Oh, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just Willie, is the spring budget statements out on Wednesday. What do you think Sunak should do? I definitely hope that he uses some of the windfall that Tom is talking about, you know, the, the, the deficit not being as bad with the borrowing. I definitely hope that he uses that to offset, um, to help the ordinary man and woman with their fuel bills. This, uh, you know, two hundred pound is is going to be a drop in the ocean for what people, and I know it's the budget, but I would love the government. I think we mentioned it last week, that during these challenging times, if we could please make it, it's against the law to cut anybody's utility off if they haven't paid their bill. We must work with people because if we don't, there's going to be thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people not be able to pay their fuel bills, and I hope that the the chancellor takes that on board. Yeah, an important message. 
Now, the hospitality trade, Tom, have enjoyed VAT rates as low as 5% during COVID. They're currently 12.5%, but they're due to go up to 20%. Should that rise be put on hold? Oh, goodness. This is all about trying to balance the books, Donald. And I don't envy the Chancellor trying to do this because everybody's at his door with a begging bowl. Oh, don't do this. Don't put that up. Cut this. Cut that. And, you know, we've talked about it often in the show. Governments are bringing in tax and deciding how to spend our money, not their money, but our money. And therefore, I I think I would I would go ahead with the rise in VAT for hospitality. But I think I really love Willie's point about it should be against the law to cut off any domestic um, payer for not paying their utility bills because that's going to be tough. I would like to see this. Um, if if you ask me, would you rather keep the VAT rate off the hospitality or the NI not go up for employees and employees? I would go NI. That would be my, if I had the choice, Donald. What about you, Willie? Yeah, I would agree with that because that will probably bring more money. You know, it will leave more money in the system. But I, I would say that if if hospitalities get any chance of paying back the loans that they got for the government to see themselves through COVID, I think it's too quick to put VAT back up to 20%. I think they should gradually increase it the way that the you know that the interest rates are going to gradually increase and maybe go from 125 to 15 and then in, in, in the next budget go back up to 17.5, whatever. But um, I wouldn't be rushing. As Tom says, that, and he keeps saying it, and he's right, this is our... It's our tax, but it's also our debt, right? And I think we should just be cleverer about how we pay it back and how we would try to get that debt down. Okay. Uh, Once again, Scotland taking a slightly more cautious approach to the easing of COVID restrictions with face masks still in place for a further two weeks. The hospitality trade, very disappointed, say there's no evidence that face masks make a difference in combating the spread of covid was Nicola right, Willie? Um, I think on this one, it's kind of, because of the numbers, we have said all along, we've been saying it now for 18 months, if we keep making, you know, judgments based on the science, then you'd have to say that unfortunately, this is the right decision, right? The numbers have never been worse. We've never had as many people in hospital than we've got at the moment. But I, you know, I for one, was looking forward very much to not having to wear masks. But if it means just for another month or six weeks, whatever, it's going to help. I mean, we're seeing stuff this week. The whole of Shenzhen, 17 million people, right, were corralled this week in China. Hong Kong, you know, they're having deaths like you know, they've never seen. So for me, if it helps that we never have to talk again about lockdown, then I'm, I'm willing to swallow that for now. I know the hospitality guys, and you know, I've got a, a place in my own in hospitality, but if that's going to help us, I'm all for it. Tom? Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I would say Scotland has been more cautious than the rest of the UK, especially England, and our cases seem to be worse so that doesn't quite equate to me, Willie. Um, I, I don't understand it. Um, I think I said last week, I don't like government or indeed MD telling me what to do. I think the common sense approach is, look, 
Um, it does seem to make sense on public transport. Does It doesn't make sense in a restaurant, Willie, if you wear your mask when you stand up and go to the toilet, but you don't when you're sitting down. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. No, I, to- I, totally, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. So I honestly don't know what the right thing to do is, but I would say trust the Scottish people. We know when to wear our mask. I still wear my mask in certain circumstances, but not all circumstances. I've been travelling a bit in the past few weeks, and London is, you know, there's no masks there. I was in France, no masks there. Then I come back and I, I need to remind myself, right, you know, I was picking up petrol this morning. My God, that was a shock. And when I filled up the tank in my Ford Fiesta, Willie, and, um, <laughs> and I had to put, I, I forgot about my mask and into the petrol station, and but luckily I had one in my pocket, a kilt walk face mask indeed. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say use your common sense. Okay. Yep. Stagecoach are in the headlines because they're en route to a huge payday with a £600 million takeover bid from German investment giants DWS and that trumps a bid from National Express. So exciting or worrying times for a fantastic Scottish success story, Willie? Great, obviously, for the shareholders of Stagecoach. I always am a wee bit sad when something goes out of Scottish hands, you know, because you've always got that, you know, and especially, you know, go back to uh, when Anne and Brian owned it. There's always going to be big Scottish decisions about a new headquarters or new buses or investment. And I just think that when you have, you know, outside ownership, that uh, these decisions uh, are not from the heart. They're mostly generally business decisions. Tom? Yeah, well, I was actually encouraged with this because if it was going to be National Express, they were wiping out the headquarters in Perth because they had another headquarters down south. Um, But DWS don't have that synergy. So they have said they're going to keep, as far as I know, keep the headquarters in Perth. Now, you know, what companies do just before they buy a business and what they actually do once they own it are sometimes different. But I was encouraged and good luck to um, Brian and Anne. They do good things with their with their money for charity, etc. So, yep, I was encouraged by this. Well, I was intrigued because uh, DWS are saying they're planning on keeping on the current management team, but National Express would ditch them. So when you're taking over a company, how do you know if the team are the right fit before you've worked with them, Tom? <laughs> well, you don't, Donald, is the answer. Um, but the thing here is National Express is, is a bus operator, so they've got their people, they've got their head office, so they see a synergy in saying, right, we'll get rid of Stagecoach's head office, Stagecoach's head um, people, and we can run a much bigger business, but on a much smaller head office base. Um, DWS doesn't have that, so they need to say, right, we're we're going to give the stagecoach team a chance. But, you know, in any takeover I've been involved with, you just sit with the people, you try and understand it, you give them a chance, they're accountable, and they either sink or swim. Didn't you interview a management team as part of a takeover, sleep on it overnight and fire on them in the morning? 
Ah, well, yes. Ah, come but, on. Um, don't do as I do, do as I say, you know. <laughs> How was that on the early yeah, days, yeah? yeah? I, I was having a small chocolate myself as he was actually waxing lyrical in <laughs> Don, but I'm glad you reminded him of that. I would just say, well, this is a classic example, I believe, of getting things right, right? See if you purchase a business and it's a good business. You no, know, it's not a turnaround situation. That means the management team are doing a good job. Right, Tom will tell you, too many big companies make the mistake of we know better, right? They'll buy a business that's outside of their comfort zone but just think that they know all the rules. And I think that this is a wise decision, you know, from, from DW. And I and I think that it will pay dividends. I mean, Martin Griffiths and the team there working under Brian for years have done a real good job. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, an absolute wise decision. Yeah, and if I can just defend myself for a second against no, you, you, you have to, give you have to, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I was I was young and impressionable in those days when I bought Olympus, and the whole management team kept telling me I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I used the old Alex Ferguson management um, chat of saying I don't know what I'm going to do without you, but I'm going to give it a good go. Uh, and um, but nowadays we invest in the entrepreneur, in the management team, and we try and in, in, encourage them. So I've learned a bit as I've gone along as well. A nice save, Tom. Well, moving on, nearly half of Scottish business leaders have skills shortages in the workforces, according to an IOD report. And 35% are not confident of recruiting people with the right skills this year. How much of an issue is skill shortages right now and how quickly can we address it, Willie? Well, I've, I've mentioned this in weeks gone by. This is a, you know, I'm kind of good at collecting data and putting it together and trying to paint a narrative. I just don't understand what's happening in the job market at the moment. I don't understand that people are telling us there's 275,000 people more working, right? When everywhere I look, everywhere I go, right, we've got vacancies. And I, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know where they all came from, right? It's not because that we've got more work or whatever, Um I think it looks like, you know, people have vanished during COVID. That's what it looks like. <laughs> and the skill shortage across all sectors is is frightening, frightening. And I'll tell you what's going to be frightening as well. I believe that when we get out of this, Tom, I think there's going to be a huge shortage in the NHS. Huge. I think a lot of people will have been, you know, they've, they've been sickened by what they've had to go through in the past two years and they'll be looking at other avenues for jobs. I hope they all want to be chefs, by the way. Oh. <laughs> my my sister-in-law is pulling her hair out because she can't get a chef anywhere. So, and we had the, the lad on two weeks ago, £30,000 a year for building panels to build cold rooms, you know. Semi-skilled, will teach you. Can't get anyone, can't get anyone. I was talking to Jim McGonagall yesterday, Tom. He's got a big uh -huh. shop, you know, the, the top drawer. Six yep. people for an interview and nobody came. Oh what? my goodness. Nobody came, right? And one girl that they did, get, they phoned her up and said, no, no, I'm not interested anymore. No, I've got another job. No, I'm not interested anymore. So everyone out there is absolutely struggling. Central heating engineers you know, say that because we can't get parts, we're having to lay guys off. It's just, I, I don't know what's going on out there in, in the jobs market. I really don't. Well, Tom, 79% of business leaders, according to this IOD report, believe the primary role of government is to ensure the efficient delivery of public services, ensuring a skilled workforce and effective regulation of the market. Do you agree with that? I agree with, with some of it, Donald. I think I never, um, I never expect too much from government and I'm never disappointed, is what I would say. 
People expect too much from government. Government can't do everything. The skills shortage is the company's issue. I've just come from a board meeting and um, that company, its number one issue was the recruitment of chefs, believe it or not, which is kind of unbelievable because this company that we're invested in pays the top wages, the terms and conditions are great. It's a very go-ahead company. But, you know, through COVID, we had the disappearance, as Willie said, disappearance of jobs because of Brexit. You know, nobody talks about Brexit these days. It's been hidden by COVID and a, and a war in the Ukraine. But Brexit caused a lot of skilled people to leave Britain. And British business has not been growing its own. And we need to go back to growing our own and solving this skill shortage. That isn't a government issue. The companies themselves, we as business people, need to solve that. Really? Anyone who blames the government for the skill shortage is hiding behind their incompetence. Right. The government is not responsible for skill shortage or otherwise. And if they're in the chain and they're pointing the finger at the government, there's no money, there's no money. Companies, we should be responsible for our own training, for our own apprenticeship schemes. Um, maybe the government can give a bit of help, but see if anyone just sits back and says, well, you can blame the government. Well, I completely blame the government. We're 146,000 college places short right, over the last 10 years, that I put right at the government's door, right? If that's what I mean, I agree. But to say today with what's happening, it's government's fault, no, I think that's it's a bit of a cop-out. We all need to do our bit. I agree with Willie, yeah. Well, Willie, another person agreeing with you is the Grand Designs presenter, Kevin McLeod, who's, yeah, he's warning about heat pumps. He says the plans are a pratfall, if I can say that on a Sunday morning, and Britain <laughs> should be focusing on insulation, ventilation and shutters instead. Totally agree. And, and I think, again, this is where Scotland can pick up the baton. Right. We've got all these geniuses. We've got all these really good engineers. We've got fantastic universities. Right. Um, I don't know the stuff that Jim McDonald's got at Strathclyde. Fantastic, you know, engineering department. I cannot believe that we are not spending a bit of money in R&D to actually get there first with what should be the perfect zero you know, carbon house going forward. Don't take what any... I mean, Boris Johnson stood up and he was the first guy to mention us about heat pumps and everybody jumped in the bandwagon, right? And, and I'll tell you how serious this is and I, I'm sure Tom knows this, right? Now huge financial invest, uh, investors, right? are now saying, oh, it's heat pumps because the government said that. Right, I'm not going to invest. I can tell you just now, a huge scheme in Edinburgh, right, where a French pension fund is saying, yes, we'll give you the 200 million to build our scheme, but it has to be heat pumps, right? And they have no idea what they're talking about. So then when, when, when the developer says, well, okay, where are we going to put all the units? Carve out a basement and put them in the basement. We can't put them in the roof because of solar panels. This is nonsense, right? They will not work. So I'm saying... I'm saying to the government, I'm saying, I said it last week, that, you know, to, to Kate Forbes and the people here, let's put a wee think tank together, an engineering think tank that can absolutely dispel the myths and get to the truth of what, you know, a carbon neutral house should look like in the future. It's going to take us a while to get there, but I can absolutely guarantee, I'll guarantee anybody who would like to come on and have a wee bet with me, right, 
Heat pumps will not be a part of the solution going forward, I will guarantee it. Tom, anything to add apart from applauding Willie for once again leading the way? So I think Willie should have his own show, Cash in the Attic, Homes Under the Hammer. <laughs> get get Willie on about the heat pumps. <laughs> dearie, dearie me. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to David Equi, Managing Director of Equi's Ice Cream. Yay! Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode of the show, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we turn the guest spotlight on David Equi, Managing Director of Equi's Ice Cream. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we chat to David, in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Charles Rennie Mackintosh. Charles Rennie Mackintosh was a Scottish architect, designer, watercolourist and artist. Born in Glasgow in 1868, from a young age he could often be found drawing in sketchbooks. At 16 he was apprenticed to a local architect, John Hutchinson, and attended evening classes at Glasgow School of Art, where his talents began to be recognised. In collaboration with three other students, collectively known as The Four, one of whom, Margaret MacDonald, became his wife, Mackintosh quickly achieved an international reputation as a designer of unorthodox posters, craftwork and furniture. In contrast to contemporary fashion, his work was light, elegant and original. Together, the four exhibited their artworks in Glasgow, London, Turin and Vienna, and what became known as the Glasgow style would strongly influence the Viennese Art Nouveau movement. On his return to Glasgow, Mackintosh was offered a job by the reputable architect firm Honeyman & Kepi, where he began to develop and promote his own style. It was during this period that most of the classic buildings associated with Mackintosh emerged. The Glasgow Herald Building, today known as The Lighthouse, was completed in 1895, Queen's Cross Church was opened for worship in 1899, and the Willow Tea Rooms opened in 1903. Mackintosh's attention to detail was fanatical, but it meant the projects he led were seldom, if ever, profitable. After 1910, commissions were fewer and further between, and Mackintosh began to work largely as a watercolourist, painting numerous landscapes and flower studies. By 1923, he had moved with his wife to southern France, but was forced to return to London due to illness. Diagnosed with cancer, Charles Rennie Mackintosh died on the 10th of December 1928 at the age of 60 reportedly holding a pencil in his hand. Never as successful or as recognised in his day as he should have been, the late 20th century saw a revival of interest in his work, as evidenced by the valuation placed on four chairs he designed that were among his belongings when he died. 
Once described as practically valueless, they were recently sold at auction for more than £100,000 each. Today, Charles Rennie McIntosh is considered a founding father of organic modernism and a superstar of the design world. What a magnificent legacy he's left behind, Tom. Oh, I mean, when you when you tell people around the world, when you meet them, you're Scottish, they always mention Charles Rennie McIntosh. And it's another example of Scots punching above their weight on the world stage. So I love that one. Really good one. Well done. Really? Yeah, it's a, it's amazing what a story, and obviously I've 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 managed to enjoy a lot of his creations. You know, I've visited most of the places we've just been mentioned, but I think it's uh, it's ironic that so many great artists that during their lifetime, not only did they not get the credit, but they never got the financial rewards. I think ninety five percent of all the greatest artists that ever lived died penniless. But talking of the creme de la creme, oh. like that link, we're now joined by David Equi of Equi's Ice Cream fame. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Morning. We're delighted to have you on. It's a famous family business celebrating its centenary this year. But can you tell us about its early beginnings and then how you became involved? Well, yeah, you have to go way back to the 1914 when my None. No, my grandfather emigrated from Italy. He was with his brother. He was like 14, 15 years old and they came over with an uncle. They literally, it was the start of the First World War, so they really were war refugees. And they came over and they, uh, this, there's various family stories, but he lived, my grandfather lived in, slept behind the floor of a cafe in Wisher and uh, until he could build up enough money to buy his own place, which he... He did in 1922 when he himself was 22, and uh, we've been there ever since. Amazing. And take us through, the, it's obviously a family business, right up to your involvement. When, we, when did you first start in the business? Well, Peter Equi then, he had two sons, well, he had three sons, but two were in the business, and they kept the place going for about 40, 50, through the war when there was a terrible time, then moved on. And my father and his brother ran a place which was just one outlet, sort of the cafe, fish and chip shop in Hamilton, and they sold, like, a bit of ice cream. And then my father got into ice cream, making it a wee bit more, but just for himself, and it became, like, a destination place to go. And I went, I had no intention of joining the business. When I went away to Edinburgh Uni, I wanted to join, but I couldn't get a job, so I ended up working. I used to make ice cream for my dad in the summer, and uh, I just... He said, well, you're going to have to start earning money. Somehow, so I started working for him, and then I just... Uh, I loved it and I got on some. I worked with my dad for a wee bit, still for the one outlet, and I did a few jobs, but he didn't really trust me to do anything else. So <laughs> I, I secretly was learning up on the science of how to make ice cream. I know it sounds a bit nerdy, but on the science of how to make ice cream because I wanted to make it better. So I was desperate to win an award, and my dad had never won one of these major right. UK awards. Oh. So I was constantly mucking about with recipes, changing things, all based on what my grandfather had done originally, but just improving it. And so moving on a wee bit, my father sadly passed away 25-odd years ago, so it was just left to me. There was no other family. My sisters weren't involved in the business, so it's just been me since then. And then I had a vision. I wanted to start making my ice cream for other people. So we've gradually improved on that just over the years, and then recently it's just gone a bit crazy, and I've just opened a... Big, massive, brand-new factory in Rutherglen. We've moved all our production elsewhere. We're doing about a million litres a year at the moment. So wow. Wow. Sort of wow. <laughs> wow. 
Well, Willie, you've certainly sampled the product, haven't you? Yeah, well, obviously, living local to the factory, you know, you've got to support your local businesses, you know, and uh, I think I've mentioned it in, in weeks gone by. I think that's why I'm a 38 and a trouser now. Today. I'm going to blame you, David, for that. <laughs> <coughs> my, my tailor's over the moon. But uh, no, but since I, obviously, born in Glasgow, but I've lived in South Lancashire now for nearly 40 years. And for the minute I got there, you know, people told me about Equis and then I, as a kid I was playing football out in Hamilton and I mm-hmm. would see the place at the cross there and we'd pop in and it was like it was a treat to get took to Equis for a fish tea and then the, the ice cream but um, so today obviously you get the factory you're producing ice cream what is the size of the business and in, in, you know in staff terms and turnover well we, we have a completely separate business just for the manufacturing yeah. and that's we've got 25 staff we do about 3 million turnover Fantastic. We're probably about the second biggest in Scotland yeah. in terms of turnover. We've certainly got the probably the biggest factory. It's all kind of state-of-the-art, eco-friendly. And we've built that up basically from what I built that up. Basically, we, when we first started doing wholesale, I'd like, I think I did 5,000 a year or something. Yeah. You know, so oh, I've done it gradually rather than doing it. When we were making from Hamilton, we made just from behind the shop. Yeah. I mean, my father was born upstairs and, you know, they all lived there. There's 23 people lived there. Wow. Ended up buying a house next door, buying different units here. And it just wasn't working. So we had we got to a stage where we were doing so much that we had to move to a purpose-built site. But that was an exercise in itself. But it's been very successful. Yeah. I believe you're now supplying supermarkets. Yes, we do quite a lot of supermarket stuff. We do most of the major ones. We do a bit of premium-owned label as well. We do a bit of export. We do ninety-five percent of our stuff's under the Equi brand, which is good. Export. Am I right? You're into Texas. Yes. Uh huh. We supply. How did that come about? We supply through Scotland Food and Drink. We supply a a chain of kind of upmarket supermarkets in Texas. Yeah. We send out like half a container. Uh, we've done it a couple of times now with a few issues with Brexit there and the transportation, but we're looking to do more of that. We've got quite more export content. We keep that's what we've got a good contact out in Dubai at the moment. We're working on as well. Ah. Is it the same flavours as here, or are they different they, market? They like different things. They like the kind of Scottish stuff. They like uh, well, it's all fresh Scottish milk and double cream that we use anyway. But we do like a one of our signature flavours is an Isle of Skye sea salt. And caramel, and they like they like that. That goes down very well. That sounds right up your street, there, Tom. Oh, I I love this. Um, David, I was I was reading that you were also chairman of Nardini's I was, down yes. Largs, yes. a place a place I spent many a Sunday afternoon. Yes. But how did you get involved there? There was uh, when Nardini's was. I knew Nardini's from when I was a wee boy. And my dad used to take because we were just like wee tiny businesses compared to them, and I used to think this was like the Royalty going in there. And uh, it came up through one of my friends, and it was actually four of us that went down to tales. Me and my friend, Seth Marini, we bought that, who's also known as Tony Macaroni. We, All right. <laughs> we bought Nardini's from the receivers. All and then we right. did, a, we did, a, we the place was falling to bits, to be honest. So we did a massive refurb on that about 15 years ago, I would say. Uh-huh. And uh, when it, you know, the way it is now, it's beautiful now. And yeah, uh, yeah. we developed. I spent a lot of time working down there, and then it, so Sepp and I ran that for about ten years, and I sold my share to him about three or four years ago. I'm still very ah, friendly with him. But another great right. story with okay. Sepp and Tony Macaroni. It's old Italian influence yeah. there, and how the impact it's had here uh-huh. in the West and of we're, Scotland. We're both from Hamilton. Everybody yes. thinks we're related. Yeah. But I actually <laughs> only met him selling yeah. ice cream to him at 
one of his <laughs> Marini's chip shops. He was the hardest guy in the world to deal with. Well, I'd met him a few times, but the last time I spoke to him, I was I was walking out the the, the Olympic Stadium in, in Rome the, the night when Celtic beat Lazio and he was walking beside me. He was try, I was trying to get him through the barriers with the police. I thought, there's more chance of you speaking Italian, Seb, and you getting us through than me getting you through. <laughs> and I remember, tell me the, the story behind the... You got all these lovely big horses made for charity a few years ago. What was the story behind that? Oh, that's right. It was they were doing a thing in Hamilton. It was for Cobride Hospice. Yes, and you you could get a horse designed and it was placed outside. So we had. I said, well, I want to do that. I'll get a horse. But you could. They would either give you an artist or we would choose our own artist. And I knew the guy that was the artist who had done all the murals in Nardini's. He was yeah. like really really good. And I said, can you do an ice cream horse? And so, well, you're not allowed to use. Can you try and make it look as equis as possible? He said, no, we're not allowed to do that. It's got to be sort of brand. So we got it done. It's actually lovely, this horse. Fantastic. The, and it was outside, it was in the main shopping centre. And I thought, well, that's really nice. And I, I remember saying to the hospice, I'd like to, because they, they go for auction at the that's end. Right. You know the story, yes, don't you? Yes. You can, tell it. <laughs> I, uh, I thought, well, no, I'd really like to keep it. So I said to the hospice, if I buy this horse back, because I'd already paid for it, can I donate it to the hospice and you can have it outside? And they said, yeah, they, yeah, that would be great if you could do that. And I said, well, we'll see how much it goes for. So later, it just so happened it was a parents' night for my daughter and I couldn't go to the auction. But I had my guy on the end of a phone and I said, he said, there's people bidding against us here, David. You know, we're not, <laughs> we need to go a bit higher. Said, Your absolute limit is a thousand pounds. You can't go any more than that. And it kept us up. There's some women bidding against me and it was going up and up and up. And I said, look, I don't care what it takes. I promise these guys will get it. Anyway, four grand later, I ended up getting the house. And you know, of course, who was bidding against me? With your wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stitch up, David. So that, ho- that horse is still... I live quite near here, Myers. Yeah. I quite often go and see the horse. It's, it's fantastic. Like, yeah. I see it there for you. But it's inter- I'm, I'm delighted that you bought it because I, I was looking forward to going home and seeing a horse's head in my bed, you know, so I'm <laughs> delighted that you got it, David. <laughs> so, so, David, um, is it a family business today? Do you have family in the business? I do. I, my daughter is now recently started full. She graduated from Glasgow Uni last year with her first and she's started with me. So she's full time with me. She does all her social media, all her marketing right. and stuff. And she's now fourth generation. Wow. I've got another daughter. It's, I've got an elder daughter who's a doctor at Hare Meyer, so I don't think she'll be joining the business. But <laughs> right. I've got a younger daughter who's still at school and she might. But yes, Alex is doing really well. So we're hopefully uh, that will stand as well for the future. And what do you think it was for yourself who took on the business and then decided, right, we want to go in this big growth spot? What was it that made you want to do that, David? Uh, I can remember when we just used to make ice cream in a wee back room and it was like falling to bits a wee bit. And I just wanted, number one, I wanted to win a competition, which I mean, I've been lucky enough to be UK ice cream champion, the champions three times now, but wow. I really wanted to do that. And then I just wanted to make the best possible ice cream you could. And to do that, you needed the best equipment, you needed the best facilities, and then you needed to sell it to more people. And we just built organically more people originally everybody came to us but that can only get you so far and then you have to need a proper sales operation and things like that but I just wanted to and even moving to my new factory I wanted the best factory I wanted economies of scale I wanted local sourcing and just loads of new ideas I just wanted to keep 
pushing. Yeah. Can I ask you, David, you mentioned earlier about the Scottish products, you know, the, yeah. the milk and that. Does, does that make a difference? It does, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Very much so. We're all Scottish uh, milk and cream. You go anywhere you go to. I mean, I've been in Italy at ice cream competitions when yeah. you're making the camp, you know, they said, oh, the Scottish creams, milks, but they tend to use... UHT and yeah. it's more about the flavours that they use whereas we yeah. use locals and we've got a tie-in with a local Lanarkshire farm yeah. that we buy exclusively from them so yeah. it makes a big and the public want to know that they're very interested in the provenance yeah. these days the history of the product you know yeah. and it's that's the big thing when I started looking at recipes it always had to be fresh milk and double cream which just yeah. by has to be the most expensive yeah. way to make ice cream yeah. but that was <laughs> yeah. that I won't compromise on that so it does put you a wee bit more expensive sometimes but we just refuse Distinctive. to compromise on yeah. quality and it's all about yeah. just that, that's amazing Tom I don't know if you were at the night um, about, talking about Scotland and products I was at an evening where Michelle Rue Senior came to do a special meal for charity it was, for, it was actually for Andy Murray and, uh -huh. uh, and Michelle Rue said at the meeting he goes and I really mean this if you wanted to open a fine restaurant anywhere in the world where you could walk out the back and you had the best ladder you could have it, you could not beat Scotland yeah fantastic right? for everything that you ever need ingredients so it's great to know that ice cream is in the same bracket well talking of a famous chef believe and you've won some awards but didn't you beat another famous chef for the London Galato Festival a few years ago tell us about that and who was it well it was it was Gordon it wasn't actually Gordon Ramsay it was his patisserie chef yeah. and I had to do make ice cream in front of all these judges at this, the London Gelato Festival yes mm -hmm. 2017 you had to do a presentation to all these people and it was a bit like Strictly when they hold up the cards as they rate your... 5.5, 5.9. And then you had to make it in front of these guys and this guy came on, he was very sort of military and, you know, <laughs> and I've got to go on after him. I thought, if I go on, I'll wave my hands about a bit, I'll act passionate, I'll talk about my Italian things and I went up and then they put the scores up so that was quite good. But it was half based on that, half based on the public vote. Yeah. And they... Uh, the public, you today to try it. For was all there was like thousands of people would pay to try sixteen different ice gelatos in London, and it was all like in a right high end stuff. Yeah. We'd made a Scottish raspberry sorbet, and we'd gone to like it was like fresh raspberries in season. We'd actually brought down Scottish mineral water and stuff, and they've gone a bit over the top. And but I'd had to leave before the end, and I'd gone. I said I didn't know the result, and it was going out live. But I was at a gig at the Hydro that night, and they were doing it live on Facebook. And the band had started playing, and I'm sitting I'm there, we go, and it came out, and the winner is like David Equi, and I sort of high fived all the bar staff. It was quite. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, we did beat Gordon Ramsay, and he wasn't happy. Uh, it was, a <laughs> was he swearing <laughs> when he was phoned you? Was he swearing? I can't ask you what he said because it's Sunday morning. <laughs> and then I got to the final, and I was represented Britain in the final in Florence for a week. That was really oh, good. Yeah. And we had to do the same oh. thing again. You've started making some quite unusual flavours tell us about the wackiest one and how they come about well we we just we don't sell anything or we don't try anything that we wouldn't eat ourselves so it's got to be pistachio with olive oil and black pepper yeah that's fantastic uh, really we, yes uh -huh, that really that's why <laughs> we, we do a lot of stuff like for we do for the great taste awards we're lucky enough to get three stars in the great taste awards a couple of years ago and and that's the kind of those are kind of foodie foodie flavors. Pistachio, honestly, it's beautiful. I'm it's going to try that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to try it. I would never that. buy it, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs>
It's your centenary year. Yes. What have you got planned? Well, we've got a big event lined up for later in the year. It's kind of fairly top secret. We can't really go on about it. But we're going, to, wee hint. And we're going to tie it in with <laughs> the ice cream involved. <laughs> we're going to tie it in with the official opening of the factory because we're just getting that up. And we may have a special celebrity opening it. Oh, <laughs> talking of the factory, didn't you build that from scratch right during lockdown? That must have been very we difficult. We did. That was like. Uh, not the best business decision, but I uh, signed the lease in like February 2020, and then of course oh. lockdown kicked in with the builders all lined up, so everything was delayed for about ten months. But we still had to lay out. And to be fair, the guys that came in were fantastic. They fitted it all out for us, and we were up and running by June last year, June 21, and fully operational by October. So we've been going for about six months now, but it was pretty tricky during lockdown. I would say. Yeah. I remember David as a young apprentice going round the cafes working on the brain machines. Yes, uh-huh. you know, and uh, vertical freezers. Oh, Jack and Ellie's in Merry yeah. Hill Road, uh-huh. and it was always good when you get a call to go there because you always got the Russian toffees or an ice cream on the way out. So I was praying, <laughs> especially in the summer months. I always prayed. I, I know I didn't tell Mrs. Jack and Ellis that their freezer broke down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so David, we are talking on this show about how we can help businesses. But one of the biggest challenges that every business is going to face in the next 12 months is rising energy costs. How are you dealing with that? And have you got any tips for any of our listeners this morning that can maybe mitigate some of this stuff? Rising energy costs uh, at the moment are an absolute nightmare. We had a supplier for one of our units and uh, I thought I had it tied up on a deal. A lot of it is just your luck that you tied it up early. But we tied it up and uh, then that supplier went bust. And then there's nothing oh. you can do because you go back to a default variable rate. Yep. So you can end up, we went from paying 14p per kilowatt hour for electricity to 20p to 35p, which is a variable rate. And then they're oh. now quoting, and this is the advice I would say, you don't sign up for a long-term rate at the moment because they're yeah. far too high. They were quoting 56p, which is like oh. four times what we were paying. Yeah. But that could... That's probably come down now, even in the space of a week, to about 35. So it's very variable. If you're a business, it's just get the best advice you can. I would say they're now doing six-month deals. Yeah. If you Sometimes it's better sticking on the variable rate, but it's yeah. so up in the air. It's, we were talking about this this morning on Scotland Food and Drink. Yeah. It's so tricky. Yeah, I, I was talking... Tom, on that, I was talking to someone on Monday who'd been down at the the bathroom show down in Birmingham and they met the people from Rack. You know, they're one of the biggest manufacturers in the world of, of sanitary wear. Uh-huh. And, and the guy there was telling my guy, I couldn't believe it, that their total cost last year for, for gas was $31 million. That's for making everything that they make. And uh-huh. at the moment, they're on track that their cost this year for the same thing will be 91 million. I can believe right? it. Oh, my But what God. that means is they're closing, to, they're thinking, they're, they're contemplating closing two-thirds of their operation. I know. Oh, so this is just going to add to the, you know, the, we were talking last week about boilers, right? Uh-huh. That the supply chain problems that are coming down, the line, all because of energy, are, are frightening. Frightening. We, yeah, I mean, we, I think on, on energy, you know, you, goodness, you read the headlines and you get worried, but, Energy costs, you know, the cost of a barrel of oil has actually come back down this week. Yep. So it is all over the place. Yep. And, um, 
surely we're going to get some good news in it and surely the Chancellor's going to help us a wee bit. Well, one of the things we did with the new factory was we made it as energy efficient as we could. Yeah. We replaced a old gas boiler with a new steam boiler that uses a third of the gas. Yeah. We recycle all our water, so our yeah. water bill is reduced 80%. So be as energy efficient as you can because it's always, even if it's a bit of investment, it's yeah. always going to help. Good advice. Yeah. Finally, David, can I ask you, is there one piece of advice you'll give your daughter, Alex, if she's going to come through uh, running the business? I would say pay attention to the detail, but don't take yourself too seriously. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you, David, for joining Brilliant. us. Thanks, David. Thank um, you for coming on That was great, show. David. Well yeah. done and, and, and good luck in the business. Thanks, More guys. power to your elbow. Thanks, guys. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. Well, I've got an interesting email to kick us off from Janie Ritchie who says, Top chef Raymond Blanc has warned that if the UK copies France's 35-hour week, it will kill the spirit of the entrepreneur. Tom, is Raymond right? Raymond is bang on the money. Um... If I had worked a 35-hour week, I would never have built Sports Division. Um, it's just impossible. If you love what you do, you don't want to work a 35-hour week. You want to get stuck in, work hard, and get the rewards for it. So, you know, someone telling me how many hours a week I can work, no chance. What about you, Willie? No, 100%. 100%. You know, um, I was very, very fortunate over the years, I mean, you know, I had loads of weekends and loads of free time, but I would have been doing 70 or, you know, 80 hours during the week, you know, so it's day and night for 6 in the morning to, you know, midnight. But if you if you wanted to make that a law, I, I think the place would grind to a halt. Well, younger generations than us hardworking chaps are striving for a much better work-life balance. So is it such a bad thing if long hours and days are soon a thing of the past? Really? I, I don't think I would be in favour I think I've said this in the past I would love to try this uh, four day week you know people working four ten hour shifts or whatever it may be but uh, no I definitely think that people should have a work life balance but for senior management teams and people who drive businesses if we get governed by the same laws then you know there, there'll definitely be a slowdown in growth you know I, I think you'd have to readjust your GDP figures and France will find that out very quickly Tom, what's your view on that work-life balance and the younger yeah. generations? 
I mean, there's obviously a difference between a founder of a business or a senior management team, as Willie says, and, you know, the the workers in the business. Nobody wants to exploit people by making them work longer unless they're getting a decent wage for it. But the entrepreneurial spirit, I mean, I say this to every entrepreneur who comes to my office, you know, if you want to worry about a work-life balance, go and do something else. Because when you're growing your business, there is not a work-life balance. I think it's impossible. The people who can build their business is one of the biggest things you can do is work hard. And I'm afraid that means work long. But if you love it, it's not a toil for you. It's not one of these things. So the entrepreneurial spirit is alive in Scotland Work hard, get stuck in, and you'll get the rewards. Well, I've got another email question, and I don't have a name, so I suspect it's from the Inland Revenue. But it says, <laughs> fraud costs the UK one billion a week, four times the amount expected to be raised by the National Insurance Act. Do we do enough to prevent tax and business fraud? And is it just down to the fact we've got such complex tax rules and cumbersome bureaucracy? Willie. We absolutely do not do enough. And I've had this conversation in the House of Lords many, many times, especially the scam of, you know, everyone gets them when you get these numbers that phone you every day, right, which is a nothing number. But when you answer the phone, they automatically get a charge of £2.47. I cannot believe that we cannot fix that. Right, there's I'll people... need to stop calling you, Willie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's, this scam has been growing now for 10, 15 years and I cannot believe that we cannot stop. This is a joke. Tom? Yeah, um, one of my business partners, um, Jim, who's the chairman of Motherwell as well for his sins, um, Jim was a tax man and he says the tax code in Britain is the most complicated in the world and it does keep a lot of people employed but it does mean that the rules are open to interpretation, to fraud, to argument. Let's simplify the damn thing. Make it simple so that if if you are defrauding it, it's obvious you are and you suffer the consequences. Any particular tax rules you think should be just either scrapped or simplified? Are you saying that, Tom? Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I think every bit of tax law has got pages and pages and pages, which which basically means it's open day for lawyers to interpret these words in the way they see fit. And, um, you know, trying to trying to pay tax sometimes to the inland revenue is a very difficult thing. Trying to settle with them is difficult um, because the laws are there for interpretation. Simplify it, pay your tax, and get on with it. Really? I definitely think for me, if I could get rid of one tax, I think the inheritance tax is a real unfair tax. But I think if you wanted to drive GDP up, we should certainly look at capital gains tax on the sale of businesses. I think that would encourage more and more people into business and it would encourage more and more people to grow their business. So what would you do with capital gains tax? I would, I, well, when, when, when it came from a sale of a business, Gordon Brown for a fleeting moment put it down as low as 10% and there was huge flurry and you know, it created a, it generated a lot of cash for the HMRC uh, it very quickly went up to 18 and very quickly up to 28 so I, I think for me 
I think a fair rate of tax on that would be somewhere between 15 and 20%. Tom, do you agree? Said like a true Tory, Willie. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> well unfortunately that's all we've got time for but don't forget you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk if you ever miss an episode simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts the Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. The work from anywhere experts. Go.